Hello everyone, this is Andrew Pond, Artistic Director of Eclectic Full Contact Theater. Welcome to Season 3 of the Half Hour Audio Hour. Every month we'll be featuring a different playwright, allowing you to not only hear their work, but to find out a little more about them and their process. If you enjoy what you hear, please remember to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast. And feel free to leave a review. You can help us out in continuing this work by heading over to redcircle.com slash shows slash half dash hour dash audio dash hour, where for as little as $5 a month or $50 a year, you can get access to exclusive behind the scenes interviews with the casts and directors of our shows, as well as become our partner in highlighting the voices and stories of women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ artists, just like donors Jack Kilpatrick and Marianne Goodell. This month's production is Lost in Tea, written by Joe Cattell, directed by Christina Cassano, and starring Tess Galbiati. Before we start, we'd like to briefly introduce you to Joe Cattell. After the production, stay tuned for an interview with Joe for more insight into the play and this process. Joe Cattell is a leading voice in the convergence of live theater and immersive technologies. Her work has appeared at Sundance Film Festival, the BBC, Sky Television, Cirque du Soleil, and multiple U.S. and London theaters. Cattell is head of content and co-creator at Kaleidico, an innovative technology company blending metaverse and physical experience. She is a member of the Light Poets Digital and Immersive Theater Collective, whose immersive graphic novel, Speed of Dark, was recently opened in downtown Las Vegas. Light Poets also created the opening performance for TED 2022, demonstrating an on-stage metaverse where the audience witnessed a world-first syncing of AR over 1,400 devices and live-streamed AR with performance around the globe. Delightico is currently building an AR mobile game that will be launched in the fall 2022. Cattell adapted Shakespeare's King Lear into an AR immersive theatrical experience in collaboration with San Francisco State University's Fabulab. She is a Three Arts Awardee, a Joan Mitchell Center Fellow, a 2021 Illinois Artist Fellow, and a Perkins Core Awardee. Cattell was the Maggio Directing Fellow at Chicago's Goodman Theater, with whom she is currently collaborating with the world-renowned Electronic Visualization Lab at the University of Illinois to create Hummingbird, an immersive theatrical experience with VR. And now, Lost in Tea. Counselor is staring into her tea. Again. She is totally lost. Clueless. She suddenly remembers the video is on, looks up, and nods at me to carry on. So I tell her, I don't think there's anyone who'd miss me if I disappeared. I'm not like feeling sorry for myself. That's a trait my mother slapped right out of me at an early age. The counselor dunks a biscuit into her tea and spouts back that I need to face this head on, then tells me to write a list of things I like about myself and a list of things I don't like. Then she holds up a mirror to the video stream as I murmur, the world is full of opportunity. People are there to support me? It's all going to be okay? Which, in reality, translates as, the world is fucked up, 
people are fucked up and you got to accept it, okay? But I don't. What I don't get is how cool everyone else is about it. But me, I find it quite, well, awkward. Is this all there is to adulthood? The acceptance of complete fucked upness? I see adults playing fake all the time. Even the kids in my class are starting to get infected with fakeness. And then they're all surprised when things don't work out. Like that princess of skanks, Teresa. She's always dumping somebody, complaining that they're a lying piece of shit. Well, of course they lied. Because everyone is fake. The counselor thinks I've a bleak view of society. And that there are good things to be found if I'm willing to open my heart. I tell her I had open heart surgery and that I think her turn of phrase is a poor choice. You think I just announced that Peppa Pig was a pedophile? The shit that comes out of my mouth lands like her dunked biscuit being lost in tea. Glug, glug, glug. Lost. The irony is... That skank, Teresa, is meant to be the one in counseling. Not me. Teresa stabbed Keisha with a pair of scissors last term just because she could. The school called Teresa's parents and told them that Teresa either had to move schools or see a counselor. Her parents decided a counselor would be better for her chances at a good university. Her mother ranting about, moving schools always looks bad. You have to explain why and she's going to be a lawyer. Keisha, however, was so traumatized by seeing Teresa every day, she decided to change schools. If everyone who was traumatized by Teresa changed schools, there'd be no one left here. Teresa's mother was like, bye, Keisha, stating, that girl won't amount to anything. The school swept this injustice under the principal's new rug, kindly donated by Teresa's parents, claiming it was Keisha's decision. No, it wasn't. It was Teresa's parents' decision. Teresa then comes to me and says, you're fucked up in the head, so you're going to see the counselor for me or I'll stab you too. I didn't give a shit and told Teresa to schedule it during double geography. How are things at home? The counselor asks. She thinks that if she digs deep enough, she'll unlock the cause to Teresa's anger. Tragic, really. Should I imagine what Teresa's home life is like? Nah, it too much effort. And and anyway, I have a plethora of personal trauma to pull from. Obviously, my parents are to blame for my own rage. They're human Rottweilers. One Christmas, my mother pulled the dinner out of the oven and threw it at me. It missed and splattered all over the floor. Raw turkey spread-eagled like a Kardashian Insta. She then threw every piece of crockery at my father. I waited until she'd finished and then politely asked what we were going to have for dinner now. She threw a suitcase at me and told me to pack it and fuck right off. Given all the throwing my mother does, she missed her calling in baseball. I was seven when this went down, and I nearly did fuck off. Then I found a way to stay beneath parental radar by hiding under my bed and living off bags of Lay's sour cream and onions. My dad's favorite, so the house is well-stashed with them. Once in a while, they'd run out, causing his itty-bitty bald head to get redder and redder and redder with my mom screaming, you're the only one who eats those rancid things, so you're to blame when they're gone. I'd secretly watch them, laughing as I tore into dad's last bag of chips. 
I'm doing a similar thing with the counselor, staying under the radar. I like to tell her stories about anything other than my parents. It's like playing Battleship. Keep her guessing the coordinates so she never lands on anything real. I talk a lot about toys. I guess because I live under a bed with old Ted, Bunny, a decapitated My Little Pony, and a shoebox that I turned into a coffin for Barbie. She was still in there. I checked. Ugh. Barbie. No wonder people don't see beyond skin when they're handed plastic beings and told this is what they should love. And what is the point of a short, dumpy, multicolored horse? I beheaded the one my aunt gifted me for my birthday. I wonder if the pony was bothered about losing his head. We've had chats, and I reckon my reasoning probably sounds poor, but decapitating made sense at the time. Now, being a weirdo that people give a wide berth to is great when you don't want to share a table during lunch. But when you get tasked with group projects, it's a bit whack. So imagine my joy when the world entered a global pandemic and we weren't allowed to interact. No more group projects, thank fuck. Now I can stay under my bed with my strange toy community. I never slept well until now. I'm so relieved that everyone is finally experiencing the same angst as me. For the first time in my life, I don't feel alone, although I am, of course, but what I mean is that we're all alone, together. We're all invisible, hiding together, forced to stop and listen to what the leaders of the world are saying, and everyone's starting to notice that they don't give a shit about the rest of us. Lost in tea. People are, are drowning in oversteeped distraction tea. You can't be saving the world if you have to be liking your BFF's post every five seconds. To be fair, it's, it's not just social media. My neighbor has like three jobs and two kids and a husband who fucked off with some waiter. She had no time to start a rebellion. But then the global pandemic started and now she has time. The leaders must be pooping their pants, can't waffle their way out of this shit show. The neighbor knocked on our door and asked my dad if he was going to protest. He told her no. She asked him, does Leanne want to go to the protest? My dad, confused, asked who she was talking about. Your daughter, Leanne, she says. The neighbor remembered me. My dad slammed the door in her face. But I did go, and I made signs with words I believed in, and I stood alongside other people crying for justice, because Teresa should have been forced out of school, not Keisha. I, I, I did, like, apologize in a heartfelt manner to my little pony. Even tried gluing his head back on, although now it sort of looks like the pony of Frankenstein. And I said sorry to Barbie. I know she's just a plastic thing with no depth, but she's come to mean something to me. And it must be lame always being judged on what you look like. I know I hate it. Lost in tea? I'm not sure. But I've been having thoughts about coming out from under the bed and confronting my parents. It scares me because they think so different from me, but the counselor thinks this is a huge step 
and is saying that if I want to be a different kind of adult from them, and she thinks it's a step I have to take. But not today. Maybe tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Lost in Tea here on the Half Hour Audio Hour. Next up is a brief interview we conducted with Joe Cattell after the recording of this show. All right. So, Joe, the first thing I want to do is just say thank you so much for letting uh, Eclectic be part of your show, Lost in Tea. We really do appreciate it. You guys have been awesome. This has been so fun working with you all. So I really appreciate you being up for playing with it. Excellent. Excellent. So my first question is, how long have you been writing? So it's a bit of a weird one for me, I guess. I I started out well, way back, um, creating theatre at school. Um, I used to get into a lot of fights when I was a young kid at school and I sort of became the kid that all the boys at school needed to beat up in order to prove themselves. Um, And I got a bit tired of it. So I was like, you know, how can I get myself out of the playground? And so I went to my headmaster or principal um, and I said to him, you know, I think what what you guys really need, what we really need at assembly is a bit of entertainment and I'm going to create plays for you and you're going to give me a classroom to rehearse with. And my headmaster, who was an amazing guy, was thought it was brilliant and so did give me a classroom and let me pick my clan, as it were, and we <laughs> created plays. And I would sit in a classroom and I would tell every person what they were going to say and um, and then direct them and then, you know, often would be in it myself. And, yeah, quite an obnoxious child, clearly. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of how I first started. But I never really saw myself as a writer at that point, although I was always writing. So, you know, as I was walking to school, I'd be always thinking, okay, what are we going to do this week? What's the play going to be about this week? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a constant narrative in my own head, um, even though I didn't really see myself that way. And it wasn't really until university when um, I, you know, I did a theatre degree and, and the university that I was at actually had a very, very um, strong playwriting course. And doing acting and being an undergrad um, in performance, we were all actually required to be to perform all or to be actively involved in all of the plays that the playwrights would write and so every year at the end of the year we were all required to be in some way part of the the 14 plays every single one that had been written by these new playwrights so people uh at my university were very sort of like encouraging of new writing um which was really nice but I still wasn't necessarily very confident and then when I left university I actually really wanted to be a director mm. um and I was like how how am I going to be a director and I, I wrote to you know a well-known playwright and director called Terry Johnson and I was like you know I think you're amazing you know I want to know how you've how you've kind of made it in the career and he actually got in touch with me and he was like you know come and have a chat with me so I went and had a chat with him he was like what you need to do Joe is you need to write a play and it's going to be really good and then you can tell them that you want to direct it and I went away and I was like Terry that's great when you're a genius playwright like you are but I don't know if that's going to work for me I was like, I don't know if I can be a director unless I'm writing a play that everyone's, you know, 
saying this isn't a brilliant play anyway so i called my friends and i was like guys we've got an emergency we have to go to the pub so we all went to the pub and i was like terry's told me that i have to write a play and i you know if i'm going to be a director i have to write a play this is not what i was expecting <laughs> and so after many many drinks we came up with a title of the play that i was going to write which was going to be dingo queen um <laughs> which was actually about two australian prostitutes um and and a serial killer um, oh. and and it actually did really well um, <laughs> and i got amazing reviews and terry came and saw this play that i'd written and i directed and he actually recommended me to a number of theatre companies and as a consequence my directing career actually did take off and so i did actually start getting a lot of directing work and I was always still sort of writing, but I wasn't really needing to write in the same way because I kind of felt like I had achieved what I was really wanting to do, which was directing. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, um, Henry Wishcamper, um, who you may or may not know, but lovely, lovely director who was, you know, was an artistic associate at the Goodman Theatre at the time, talked to me and asked me if I might be interested in writing a kids show for him to teach for a summer school that he was doing um, at a local school in Chicago and I was like yeah sure that sounds cool and so I wrote this play and uh, Gabe Ruiz who you may know he wrote the music and created these incredible raps and, and we did this this little show with with these kids and uh, and it went down really well and and the parents were like, this is great. When are you going to do it again? And we were like, do it again? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure. And, um, and we went to the Chicago Children's Theatre and they loved it. And they said, yeah, let's do it. And so we ended up doing it, which was an epic tale of scale, which was an immersive piece of theatre that we did there. Um, and that kind of got me back into writing. And I ended up doing a few other projects, all of which suddenly all got produced, which you know, it doesn't necessarily happen um, mm -hmm. for playwrights. And so it kind of felt like the universe was telling me, actually, playwriting, you need to kind of get back in, into this, um, which was really lovely. It's been really lovely and actually probably saved my sanity through the pandemic, honestly. Um, uh. But, um, yeah, it's it's just been, it's been nice because I feel like I've actually had a bit more control over the projects that I've been doing and also just you know and who I've been able to work with which which is also you know I think that's a great privilege you know so yeah it's been it's been an interesting journey um but it's also been a lot of fun I've been very lucky excellent so so what inspired Lost in Tea mostly everything that had hap was happening and did happen in 2020 really um <laughs> just you know it was this sort of point where we were really forced to examine the world that we were living in and, you know, justice and what exactly was justice and that even living in, in a country like America and, you know, even the UK, which is where I'm originally from, and just seeing what was happening with the governments um, and with the people and the sort of double standard, which was just really sort of appalling to me and then you know also navigating the truth through social social media and you mm -hmm. know and how twisted everything had become um i guess that you know obviously was a big thing the pandemic plunging people 
into this sort of isolation. But at the same time, I was at home homeschooling my own child. Um, and so I had this very real thing of watching my child change um, and his personality changing through this experience. And it was also, for me, it felt like a really crucial time for him and his personality because, you know, he was sort of like going into puberty, which, I mean, I'm sure most people remember sort of how awful that experience is as it is, let alone mm-hmm. when you've also kind of got this crazy world thing happening at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, th- those were kind of all of the things that were kind of swimming around in my head um, and, and just, yeah, really kind of remembering how isolated I felt when, when I was the same age as my, my kid, really. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be hitting that age during that because it's awful enough without a pandemic. Right? That, oh, <laughs> it's just oh, like, it's like trauma on trauma. Oh, oh man. Um, <laughs> and just and as being stuck at home with your mum, you don't even have, you know, a friend that you can be like, compare notes on the crap that you're dealing with. You can't, yeah. even, you can't even get away. It's just, no. Oh. So... What are some of the challenges or and or advantages to writing for the audio medium versus the stage? Yeah, I think challenges is that you do have to obviously remember it's it all has to be hourly told, which sounds so obvious, but I used to actually read audio submissions and it's amazing how quickly as playwrights you you actually forget that because we are so attuned and ready to write about what we see you know so mm-hmm. it's really interesting um but really what what i enjoy is the idea of you know what can an audio drama be what are the worlds that we could access through audio that we can't really access through other medium and just you know creating that world and really trying to place someone in somebody else's head which i think audio does better than anything honestly and not only do you really understand how the way that you know the people think um and feel but you know you really create the world for yourself and as someone who creates i do a lot of immersive theater Mm -hmm. um for me audio drama really is you know the og of immersive theater you know it's like (laughs) it's where it it kind of started as far as i'm concerned so yeah, I think from that perspective, that's what you know what I think is really cool about it. I mean, obviously, there's different things that happen on stage, and there's all the thing that stages. But yeah, I think audio, if you can really kind of get into that nuance and that world building, and get into somebody else's head, you know, and really place this world in somebody else's head, then then they really get into that world with you, which I think is so exciting. Absolutely. It really is easier to pull you into that, I think, with which you would think would be more difficult because you can't see anything, but it's it literally because you have to use your imagination, I think, more. Definitely. And and I love the fact that, you know, everyone can imagine it differently as well. Mm-hmm. Which which I think is is great. And from England we would we would listen to the BBC radio dramas growing up. Mm -hmm. That was something that's very much a big part of um, 
of my, you know, my youth and early adulthood. And it always, every time I listened to a radio drama, it always felt like it was being told just for me. Mm. And there is something about, you know, radio drama, audio drama, that it always feels like that person is just speaking to me, which which made it so personal and, you know, really kind of made me create my own world and really want to get into it in that sense. That's awesome. That is awesome. So tell me, do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to promote? So I am a co-creator on a show that is going to be opening in Las Vegas towards the end of this year, but I can't actually tell you, I'm not allowed to announce the venue yet, Um, (laughs) but I will post it on my website or if people want to check out a website um, of the company Particle Inc, um, P-A-R-T-I-C-L-E-I-N-K.com, that will be where the announcement will take place. But everyone should come and see it when it does open for sure. Excellent. I will make sure that particleinc.com gets put into the uh, episode description for this so that people can just click on it and go and find out everything that's going on. That'd be lovely. And now, of course, the question of questions. What was your favorite childhood toy? You know, it's funny. I didn't really have many t- toys growing up. Um, I I spent most of my life in a tree, really, or in a <laughs> pond. Um, but I did have a teddy bear that my grandmother gave me, um, which actually is still with me to this day. Um, oh, wow. so, so, yeah, that, to- that teddy has traveled the world with me. Um, so that that would be the only one, really. That it's that one. That is amazing. That is so cool. I like the fact that you spent your childhood up a tree. I did. I honestly, I'm realizing some of the things that I've shared with you, and I, you know, terrible human. And we, <laughs> we I lived, I lived on a um, apple farm and a hops farm, and but there were some random cherry trees that would grow. Oh wow. And, we would pick the cherries off and throw them at people as they walked past. <laughs> terrible. I'm a terrible human, honestly. I, you know, you could just spin it that you were very, very inspired by the trees in Wizard of Oz. That's what it was. There you go. It, it, yeah, I can, I can justify anything. Uh, <laughs> I, should, I should have you on, like, speed dial. Just for when I need help from digging myself out or something. I've just done a, I've, I've just been throwing cherries at people. Why? Give me a reason why. Um, <laughs> tell me why it's okay. Quick. Tell me why it's okay. Yeah. See, I shouldn't have gone into artistic direction. I should have just gone into PR. Um, <laughs> it's never too late. Um, but but um joe i really do want to say uh once again thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your show it's a wonderful wonderful show and i will second the uh the statement that christina made earlier which is that you know one of the things that i really liked about this show was that it had an opposite kind of attitude that a lot of pandemic stories do but it really was kind of surprisingly positive which you don't usually get a lot so i'm really really glad that we got to be 
a part of this show. And on behalf of everybody here at EFCT, I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you. It's been great. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Andrew. We hope you enjoyed Lost in Tea. Next month, we will be presenting Things Needing Explanation, written by Julie Fisher. And don't forget to head over to eclectic-theater.com to find out about Crashbox, an international festival of new short-length audio plays, performed live with live foley and music, November 16th through the 19th, as well as all our other shows and projects. On behalf of myself and everyone here at EFCT, thanks for listening.